So Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord God, we submit ourselves to the authority of your holy word, asking that your spirit would open our eyes to see your world and to soften our hearts to hear your voice. Show us Jesus, teach us the gospel, make us your people for the sake of communicating the goodness and glory of your holy name, we pray. Amen. So it was Sunday, resurrection day, the first day of a new world where forgiveness of sin before a holy God was now possible for those who put their faith in Jesus as Messiah, but... Nobody saw it. It was the first day of a new day where salvation from sin that shames and condemns was possible because Jesus had been slain as the Lamb of God, but nobody saw it. Now, they didn't see because they were blinded by false hopes in the here and now. The best they could hope for, the best they could imagine was hope for some worldly political power that God would send a political leader to take down the Romans and to restore their land, the land of Israel. That's where they focused, so that's what they saw. Something something like a Messiah who could forgive sin and make them right with God in a way that would transcend those worldly political and national powers, and that would mean a forever kingdom that would do away with all sin and grief and pain and suffering, they couldn't see that. And neither could these two disciples in Luke 24 who were on the road to Emmaus. They couldn't see it because they were blinded by false hopes in worldly political powers. Pick up the story at Luke 24, verse 13. Look at just the first three words. Luke tells us this. That very day, now press pause, that very day is a way here for Luke to make clear at the beginning of this story, this passage, that there's something that we see as readers that these two disciples aren't yet seeing, meaning that this was the very day of the resurrection of Jesus. We know this from the immediately preceding context. So it was Sunday, resurrection day meaning the very first new day of a whole new world where forgiveness from sins was possible because the Lamb of God had been offered as a sacrifice from sin. It was the first day of this new day when the tomb had been emptied and hope became flesh and bones in the new resurrected body of Jesus. But these two poor disciples were blinded by hope in the here and now, in worldly powers who yielded the sword as a means of rule. So, verse 13. That very day, two of them, meaning two disciples, we know that from the immediate context, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, 
about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So they're fleeing Jerusalem after the Passover feast and after Jesus's crucifixion, they're trying to get out of Dodge, talking about what had happened. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Which, which wouldn't have been too weird. People often traveled together for safety. It was after the Passover feast and Jerusalem had been filled with people. So many folks were, were traveling then. So it wouldn't have been too weird. But it says, Jesus himself drew near and went with him. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They couldn't yet see that it was Jesus. Implication here being from Luke that using the passive and talking about being kept from recognizing him, implication is that God was supernaturally keeping them from seeing Jesus for who he was. Verse 17, and he said to them, Jesus said, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? <laughs> What's going on, guys? What you talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Apparently, they're sad enough to stop walking before they say this next thing. Verse 18. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, answered Jesus, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Have you been asleep, dude? Like, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? Seems a little harsh, and I know I'm not Jesus, but if I were, I think I would have said, have I been asleep? Dude, I'm Jesus. Open your eyes. I'm a much bigger deal than you realize, but of course, he actually is Jesus, so he doesn't say that, and he's actually gracious. So he said to them, verse 19, what things? As if he didn't know. And they said to him, Notice what they're really saying about Jesus here. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, meaning he was recognized by the people as sent from God. But our chief priests, verse 20, our chief priests and rulers delivered him up, this man who was a prophet, delivered him up to be condemned to death, and crucified him. Now, we make an interpretive error when we read our conceptions of the Messiah back into their words. We make an interpretive error when we read our ideas about Jesus 2,000 years later after understanding and reading the New Testament back into their ideas. You see, no one except maybe Mary really understood who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And the idea that, that God would become flesh, that God himself would become flesh and die for their sins was considered a blasphemous idea. They all grew up learning to expect. And even after spending three years with him, Jesus' own disciples expected a, a nationalistic ruler a nationalistic ruler who was sent from God to restore Israel's land to its former glory and to take down the Romans. At best, God would send an earthly and political savior who would overthrow the Romans. Just look at exactly what they're saying here. They call Jesus a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. He's a man 
who is a prophet. That's why they say these sad words. Verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one to bring our nation back to our land and to restore our power. Yes, and besides all this, besides all this, as proof, it is now the third day since these things happened. In other words, as proof that he's not the one that we thought he was supposed to be, it's the third day, and the coup that he said would happen today hasn't happened. Now, verse, verses 20 and 21 here are the key to understanding the lie that they were believing. They were hoping in a worldly power to fix their circumstances, as if sort of having properly appointed officials would restore Israel, or, or maybe having a particularly powerful military king like David to lead them. We had hoped that was Jesus, that he would bear the sword against the powers that oppress us. This was the lie they were believing, that earthly political powers can set all things right. So think about how, how weird this scene is. Here they are explaining to Jesus, filling in Jesus about what happened to Jesus without realizing it's Jesus. And now they're telling Jesus that his coup didn't work, even though it had already actually worked, but they didn't see it because they're placing hope in Jesus that he had no intent on fulfilling. Luke is writing this so that we as readers can see the whole time what those disciples were not seeing. And as we keep reading, we can tell that they didn't expect a Messiah as we understand it, but that they expected a political figure because, because they didn't properly understand the tomb even after it was empty. Verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. I mean, that's nice and all, amazing as it is. If he's alive, then where is he? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. In other words, we double-checked and nothing. No Jesus, no revolution. <laughs> so, we're on our way home. Verse 25. He said to them, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Notice what Jesus is saying here. If you had believed what the scriptures already say about the Messiah... You would see me for who I really am and not what you expect me to be. Was it not necessary, verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Meaning this point about suffering can even be shown from the scriptures, Jesus was saying. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, verse 27, he interpreted to them, this is Luke speaking about what Jesus did next, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, as if he had to continue traveling. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, 
for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Notice here that Jesus goes from being guest to being host. And then their eyes were opened, verse 31, and they recognized him. They finally saw that they had been with Jesus the whole time and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Here they learn in retrospect, looking backward, that they had been blinded by their false hopes and what they had wanted from Jesus instead of what he offered. How foolish we have been to miss Jesus the whole time. And they rose that same hour. They rose immediately and returned to Jerusalem, going back to tell everyone they'd found Jesus. And when they did that, turned out they'd found him too. And they found the 11, the disciples that were remaining there. They found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon, the 11 believing because he had appeared to Peter here called Simon. Verse 35, then they told what had happened on the road. The two disciples from Emmaus who returned to Jerusalem told the rest of the believers what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They related how Jesus showed himself to them as well. Three lessons about hope for us today from this passage. First is this, knowledge that is based on the scriptures, which is how we understand God's plan, is what brings hope in Jesus. In verses 25 through 27 here, it is in being taught from the scriptures that they begin to see Jesus clearly. He said to them, verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Meaning if they had believed what the prophets had said, had said that was recorded in the scriptures, they would understand. Jesus speaking again, verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then notice in verse 27 here, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, meaning beginning with those sections of scripture, the Pentateuch and the prophetic writings, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. If if they had believed what the scriptures already said about him, they would have seen Jesus clearly. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 are important verses that tell us that the Bible is is breathed out by God himself. So, So it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It says it can equip us for every good work that God has for us. What this means, friends, is that being in this book is how to see and hear God's plan for your life, to see and to hear who Jesus really is. So instead of being satisfied with this steady diet of of empty blather from a world of lies and idols and temporary frivolous entertainment that overpromises and underdelivers. Friend, become a word-saturated believer in the Jesus of Scripture because then you'll begin to see the awesome beauty and majesty of the character and nature of God himself. You will have hope in Jesus when you meet him in God's word. 
Second thing I want us to see today is that the sharing of life with a gathered community of believers gives us hope in the risen Christ. When these two disciples returned to Jerusalem, they joined the larger community of believers who confirmed they had seen him too. When you gather with other believers who have seen Jesus, you begin to have hope in a risen Christ because you can hear of his work and see it in the lives of his people. It's why habit seven for us is tell the story. Tell the story of God's work in your lives. In next steps, in our small groups, in the Pulse video each week, in the public declarations of faith, in coffee convos, in regen commencements and testimonies, every single week, we can be encouraged and hopeful because we see a risen Christ in the hearts of believers. We see a risen Christ in the hearts of believers who were once, according to Ephesians 2, children of disobedience who lived out their natural desires that condemned them, who now have stories of the goodness of God to awaken in them his spirit that makes us all alive. When I hear people talk about the goodness of God in their lives, it makes me sing inside and it gives me hope. Friends, this is what happens when God's people gather. Third, Believing in Jesus is acting as if he is truly risen. Think about this. The first disciples went to the tomb, saw it was empty, but still didn't realize what we now know as the resurrection had already happened. Meaning the power of sin and death had already been defeated, but they didn't realize it. The struggle for so many believers is realizing that you already actually have eternal life in Jesus. Living as if what you have is as real as God says it is. So stop living like the lamb's death for your sin that accomplished your salvation was some mythical accident of history and start acting like it's an actual miracle initiated by God the Father on your behalf. Friends, when you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your righteousness before the Father, you have obtained eternal life. So live like it. Believing in Jesus means acting as if he has risen for your sins. If you have resurrection, your hope in Jesus is more real than your hope in anything else you can hold or see. So let's take a minute and let's think about this takeaway question based off these three lessons. What most needs your attention this week? Time in the word? Time seeing the risen Christ in other believers? Or acting as if Jesus has risen for you? Friends, Jesus is not someone for you to fashion after your image or after your piddly, here and now, human expectations. Jesus is who the scriptures say he is. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end first 
and last, who is one with the Father and the Spirit from everlasting to everlasting, creator of the universe and king of all. His plan is not to just come and merely fulfill your here and now dreams because that's too small. His plan is to redeem your dreams so you will take on his vision of a life filled with the knowledge of his character and nature and power and might so that you will know joy from him you cannot know from another. Friends, that's a plan with hope because it rests on who the scriptures say Jesus is and not our sinful notions of some earthly king who psychologically helps us feel better in the here and now. Friends, Put your trust and your faith in Jesus because he alone deserves it and is worthy of your worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to be people whose lives are lived based on the reality of who you are for us as lamb of God sacrificed that worked to be atonement for sin for us because you lived perfectly and fulfilled the law before the Father that we could not because of our sin. We love you for that righteousness, Lord. And when we accept you and put our faith and trust in you as the Lamb of God sacrificed for us, we are likewise putting our faith and trust in you as risen Lord. So in the here and now, help us to live as if that's what really happened. Not because it's pretense, but because we put our hope and faith and trust in you. Help us to see that in the scriptures as we study them. Shape our hearts and minds around the, the knowledge that begins with fear of you. Help us to see that risen Christ in the lives of others around us, listening for your work in their lives as, as the apologetic that establishes the truth of who you are for us as risen Savior. And then finally, Lord, give us the strength and courage to live with the knowledge that you're not just some idea or this isn't about intellectual assent, but that in history, you lived the perfect life for us, were raised from the dead, and the empty tomb is for us. Reason to live as if we have eternal life because we do because you're Savior, because you're risen. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.